Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Believe in Memphis Football Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Fowler, and joining me this week is a good friend of mine and former Memphis offensive lineman, Gabe Kuhn. Gabe, I appreciate you joining me. How you doing, man? Yes, sir, man. I'm doing great. I'm doing great, man. It's been a while since we actually kicked it or talked, man. This whole, uh, this whole, uh, you know, pandemic thing is not, not for me, man. I don't like it too much. Yeah, you and I have not gotten to talk Memphis football on a public platform in quite some time, so we are back at it. And Gabe, I want to start with the two-lane game. Obviously, a rough loss, one that that I thought they were going to lose. I didn't think they were going to win this game. Not a good road team right. against, uh, honestly, a solid two-lane team. Uh, two-lane was only 5-5 five and five coming into the game. They took Tulsa and SMU to overtime, so I knew it was a tough matchup, a team that's good against the run and has a good defense. So uh, I, I wasn't surprised that it wasn't a great game. What were your thoughts on Memphis's loss on Saturday? It, it's not surprising. Obviously, Tulane came in the favorite. The, the issue I have is just the, the run game. It, 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 it won't get going. And early in the season, you thought, okay, this isn't that bad. You know, you had some guys uh, over the past few years. You look at uh, Trayvon Tate, who started 50 games. You look at Drew Kaiser, who started 50 games. You look at Roger Joseph, who started, you know, 30 games. And then Dustin, you lose him last then, year. Then Scotty guy, Bill, you this, lose him. You have so many guys you guy lose. guy named Gabe Coon. Early in the season. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, whatever. He sucked anyway. But uh, you, you, you get early in the season, you think like, okay – they're actually coming along. They're okay. Like they were getting it done early in the season. You know, Arkansas State was okay um, in, in games early in the season. But then now, the past three games, and I'd say since that Cincinnati game, it has been tough sledding. They can't get anything going. And, and that's the biggest takeaway from the back half of the season is just how disgustingly bad <laughs> the run game has been. And, and you know, you, you – talk to people and they ask, well, is it predictability? Is it, um, is it the players they have in there? And I just think it's a mix of everything at this point. And, and it's, it's so apparent and it's the reason they, they lost the game like this. Yeah. I think they came into the season with a decently complicated and multiple run game scheme. And we know, especially you and I from all the breakdowns and all the film that we've watched, we know that in the past, this has been a, pretty basic run game there have been some some trick things mixed in and matchup things mixed in depending on teams um but but i think they tried to come into this year a little bit more complicated uh run a little bit of stretch scheme a zone scheme a man straight on blocking man-to-man scheme i think they came in expecting to be able to run in multiple different blocking schemes and they just don't have the bodies for it uh, Manny yeah. has struggled at center. Manny was really good at right guard last year. He's been graded out as one of the worst, I think the worst center in the American Conference. And overall, I think he has like a mm-hmm. 50.7 pro football focus grade right now. So he hasn't been great yeah. there. It's not his natural position. Uh, I honestly thought Isaac Ellis was going to start at center. So I was a little bit surprised by that. And I think you're you're right on the spot. I think it's a mixture of things that have caused um, what's going on with the run game. Um, and then for you as a former offensive lineman, has it been aggravating watching the team that has ran oh. so well over the oh, past bro, couple of years? Oh, bro, you know, come on, man. We, we did film breakdowns all last year. Like, you know how stressed out this makes me just watching a run game just fail um, game in, game out. But it, it's weird because, like, you, you 
try to put a finger on it and people talk about predictability. Well, it was pretty predictable last year. We, we know from doing film breakdowns, they ran the same schemes over and over and over again. And not to sound too like O-line heavy or like a hashtag football guy right now, but a run game, regardless of if the other team knows what's coming at them should work. You should be able to impose your will if you're Memphis. That's what they've built sort of this this program on at this point. Now you have Ryan Silverfield, an O-line coach, as the head coach. That's what they've built their program on. And if you can't get it done, um, it, it just seems like a lost cause for that offense. So now you have people kind of coming back on Brady White again and saying, oh, he's terrible. I mean, we've, we've seen this for three years now. It's just a freaking right, roller coaster right. with him. People love him. People hate him. One game, he's the best quarterback Memphis has ever had. The next, he's the worst. What have you done for me lately, though? That, that's, that's what, what it, it is. That's always that's what, it, what is. it always is. And from you, like like I said, I know you're a big football guy. I know you know the game. We've talked about it a lot. How much has the lack of a run game hurt Brady White? Because we saw what he did early in the season. He was one of the leading touchdown passers in college football before the run game shut down. So how much of an effect has this had? It kills him. It kills him. He's a guy who doesn't have a big arm. He's not very athletic. Um, He gets the ball to playmakers. Um, Last year and the year before when he had success, when the team had success, it's built on the run game. That's how you build it. All the drives – start and finish with the run game generally and for him like he's a guy who's not going to go out there and just win you games off of his playmaking ability that's not what he does he needs some type of facilitating nature to an offense to be able to take over and I think that's been tough for him man I feel bad for Brady out there at times because he has to do everything him and Calvin Austin and and I love Calvin like Calvin is uh, a fantastic player came in as a uh, walk-on, has worked his butt off, runs the whole route tree, runs past people, does everything he can. Um, but he's not a guy that at any point during the season, I, I don't think anyone thought he'd get, what, 17 targets last right. game against Tulane, right? And, like, you're forcing guys to do things they're not comfortable with because you can't get the ball, the, 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 ball, the, the run game going. And it's just – it's it's tough on Brady. It's tough on those receivers. And, and um, I would be willing to bet that the point of emphasis in the offseason will be directly on that. I mean, they are going to put that under a microscope and see what the hell happened. Well, let's talk about play calling a little bit because this has been one of the most fascinating things to me this year. A lot of fans have not been happy with what Kevin Johns has done, especially recently. Right. My point of view is a is a little bit of both ways. I've seen a, a, some things I don't like, but at the same time, I think we got to give them a break because when you don't have a run game, how creative can you actually be? Um, uh-huh. But I do have a couple of things that have bothered me specifically from this two lane game. Uh, that red zone drive, thirty five to twenty one. You know you cannot run the football, and you run the football on first and second down. And I, my mind was blown. Like I know they want to establish the run. Yeah. This is late in the game when you when you know running the ball is out the door. Patrick Johnson uh, and the other linebacker, number 24, I can't remember his name right now, but they're dominating you uh, in the front seven. You're not getting anything going, and you run the ball on first and second down, down by 14. What have you thought about the play calling this year? Is it Kevin Johns? Is it a lack of the run game? What, what's been wrong with the play calling this year? Cause See, it, I, I think it's just being limited because of the run game. And, and, and it's interesting – that that drive you bring up 
because I was thinking the same thing. Like, what what makes you think after what you've seen all day that this is going to work once you get into the red zone? Um, so I I don't know how much I've been like all year hounding this play calling, um, but but there's certainly something going on. And and when you, everyone knows if you're an OC and you're limited in what you can call. Like, it's just going to be tough. It's going to be very, very tough to do what you want to do. And, like, this this offense in general, even with Norvell, like, you know this. It's built on the run game. It is completely built on the run game. And when you can't get that going, it's like, what do I call? Do I put this all on Brady's back and Calvin's back? Or do I try to take some type of, you know, weight off of them? And I guess that's the thought running on first and second down, but clearly it, it, these type of things have backfired this year. Um, but here's the other thing, and I, I want to see what you think about this. Like this year, I think there's just built-in excuses regardless of anything because of what COVID-19 has done. Like you've had guys out. You've had Kenny Gainwell out. You've had Coxie opt out. You have now O'Brien Goodson. I know it's from injury, but he's out. It's just – this year has been so trying for the program in general, and you have a new head coach trying to, you know, piece things together. I think any win that was gotten this year is a plus. Um, and some of these losses, we just have to learn to live with them at this point because it's just – it's been a very trying year for everybody. And I don't know how you feel about this, but when you're in this type of season, you have to use that as a – as a measuring stick, as a point of emphasis, is the fact that nothing's normal this year. Yeah. And, right? So anything positive is a positive and just live it, live with it. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, even with the struggles, this team is 6-3 and three right now and could potentially finish the season 8-3. and three. If, they def- if they beat Houston and they win a right. bowl game, they can finish the season 8-3. and three. I agree with your point of this season's a wash regardless. Uh, you have some people coming back, and the way they combat that is well. Everyone's everyone had to deal with it. Everyone's on an in even yeah, granted, an even no playing question. field. But even at that, are they? Every team in the country doesn't have a first year head coach. Like a first year head coach yeah. is going to take time regardless because they've never done it before. Right. And now he didn't even have get to have a spring. He didn't get to have a summer. So he comes straight into the fall with a new defensive staff, uh, with guys leaving right before the season starts, with some guys leaving during the season. So. I, I kind of just say this season is what it is. I'm glad we got college football, but it doesn't really count. It doesn't really right. matter. Who cares? Let's look forward to next season. But I do want to talk to you about the Houston game because I do think uh, the Houston game and a potential bowl game are going to be very important for this team's confidence moving forward. I know you played on teams that barely lost, and then you played on some teams that it was kind of back and forth. We win a game, we lose a game, finish the season with eight wins. So on some of those teams where you know you get a little bit more momentum towards the end of the season, I know that that can build confidence for the next year. So how important is it, not necessarily for a win, but for Memphis to look like Memphis again against Houston and in a potential bowl game? You know, the one thing, and I, to be honest with you, the Tigers are five-point dogs. I don't necessarily expect to win by any stretch of the imagination. But the one thing I don't want to see – is a uninspired effort, right? Because that could lead into next year and, like, the the, the psyche of your team could be defeated going into next year feeling like, oh, well, we lost four games against teams that we shouldn't lose to normally. You beat Cincinnati twice last year. You get absolutely trounced by them. The one thing I want to see is stick in the game 
and have an inspired effort, right? Because I just think that could be so damaging if you go into this game and just decide not to play hard. And I, one, one example, my freshman year, um, we went to UConn. And this was obviously my redshirt year. We went to UConn, and I think we were three and eight at the time. And everyone came out and just looked like garbage. Didn't care to be there. Didn't want to be there. Like, and it showed. I think they got beat by like thirty points. And it's just like by UConn, who was five and seven that year. You just don't want to see that because that could just be damaging for any team psyche going forward, even year to year. Yeah, I completely agree. That's why I said that's why I didn't say necessarily winning, but just playing Memphis football, playing a good game, right. looking like they want to be there and want to play football. That's that's what I'm looking for because, like I said, because that there, and there's nothing where like watching it for fans. Like, there's there's I promise you, if they have an uninspired effort against Houston, it will be I don't even know. It'll be Armageddon on Twitter, on Facebook. When you hear all these fans, everybody react to it. Um, because no one wants to see an uninspired effort. No, no, from their no team. one wants to see a team quit, and I, I don't think they will. I think first off, I think your quarterback's gone after this year. But here's the thing, though: they have every reason, and this is a weird thing. It's like, you know, mentally they do have kind of every reason to quit. You know right. what I mean? Like it's just this year has been so trying. You lose all your good, your 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 star players. You you. Um, see guys get injured that were absolute captains on the team. Like you, you have every reason to have an uninspired effort, but you can't, you can't fall into that. Yeah, and the reason I don't think they will is because I do think they love Ron Silverfield. I think they'll play for him regardless. Yeah. I think that's why you see this team scrap back in nearly every game is because they they love the coach they play for. Uh, secondly, this is Brady White's last career game at home. Right. I don't see any way this team just turning their back and saying, all right, we're going to let our quarterback go out without a solid effort right. from us. Because I still believe in team. I still believe that you know these guys love each other at the end of the day. You know better than me. You played. They do. For you sure. played in this atmosphere. So, you, I mean, you know how it is. They, they, they got each other's backs. When you go through that much stuff together, even when you're not a great team, you've got each other's backs. So I don't expect them to give up. I'll be pretty shocked if they do, and I know fans won't be happy. But that brings me to next season because I do want to talk about it a little bit. Uh, I've talked about it some over the past couple of days just about my feelings towards it because I do think uh, there's still uh, a lot to be excited about moving forward over the next couple of years. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. When you look at you know what this team brings back, what they have in the 2021 class, what they have in the 2020 class, guys that will be either sophomores or redshirt freshmen next year, um, and I know it'll be a different quarterback, but I think a lot of people are excited about what the potential of a new quarterback could look like, specifically with the offense and scheme-wise. Um, so what are you looking forward to next year? What has you kind of excited about next year? Well, I think you have a lot of guys who are going to get a, a, another year of experience under their belt and, and come back better. Rodriguez-Clark, um, you got guys along the defense that, that – um, may leave, right, and you have may have some come back and, and whatever it is. But the, the most exciting thing, I think, is you have some guys in that quarterback room, namely Peter Parrish, who I want to see what he can do. And, and I think the offense is going to have to change a little bit, right, and maybe, maybe a lot of it, who knows. But you're going to have to change that offensive scheme because he's more of a runner. Um, I know he can still – 
sling the thing and, and do that. And who knows? I mean, you might have guys like, I, I don't know, uh, Keelan Brown. Um, if he'll come along, you don't know what will happen. Connor Adair, if he'll be around, what, what will happen? He's gone. Oh, he's gone. Yeah, he left after the SFA game. Yeah. Oh, dang. Did you report that? Uh, no, I didn't report that. But uh, <laughs> but either, either way, way. You, have, you have guys in that quarterback room um, who I'm excited to see what they're able to do when they step up and how they will step up. Um, but it's going to be different without Brady White as that guy, as that controlling force, as that guy who can um, sort of calm down the offense. And I think you may have your ups and downs next year. There's no question. Um, but I do think the talent that is being brought in, and you look at the past, just the past two nights, you had two recommits uh, of guys that decommitted last month that are your probably two of your highest uh, touted recruits. Um, you have other guys committing last night. Like it's, it's going to look up. You just have to get a new look. You have to see what these guys are able to do next year. And that excites me. But at the same time, there's so much unknown about what they actually will be able to do. Because you never know if they come in, in and flop and then don't play all that well. You, no one wants to think like that, but it's certainly a reality. It's certainly a possibility. Um, but it's just going to be a different type of deal not having Brady White as that sort of centerpiece of your team. And Yeah, it's, it's going to be very weird because this guy's done it for three years, right. started every game for three years, you know, led him to the best season in school history. So I personally think next year may get off to a rough start because you're not going to have a quarterback who uh, sees everything that Brady White does. And they'll get there. I believe that they'll get there. But you can't ask a first-year starter to do the things that Brady White does now when it comes to reading defenses and get you in the right play. Right. So there's going to be a learning curve there 100%. There's no doubt about that. The The encouraging thing for me is it, Peter Parrish played under Joe Brady right. last year, who I think is one of the greatest offensive minds in football. Um, and I, Keelan Brown, I, I've watched his tape a ton of times from high school. He was... He was awesome in high school. I think a lot of people look at him as a runner, but I love his arm. I watch a lot of his downfield mm-hmm. throws and look very good. So I'm excited about the future. I think next year could get off to a rough start. Right. And then I think towards the end of the season, you'll see them go on a run to where in two years they're set up to be possibly the best team in the conference. And I know that's granted, a lot of projecting. And that's, looking ahead quite a bit, but we can't lie to ourselves. While there's that level of excitement, there's certainly going to be a level of concern because you just don't know – like. We have had Brady White controlling the team, controlling that offense for so long. He's such a calming factor. You know he's been coming back. He chose to come back last year that no one knows what it looks like without him. So that's where that level of concern is going to raise. But I think once you get these guys experience, once you get these guys going, it'll be, uh, it'll be smooth sailing. Yeah, so last thing before we get out of here, Gabe, I do want to talk about the defense. I know a lot – and when I say a lot, a lot to break down, a lot, <laughs> a lot to break down. A lot of people have been concerned and honestly just pissed off at this defense all season, and for understandable reasons at time. It's been tough, but my, the thing that I keep coming back to is a new system. You don't have the guys that are built for a three-four. They had guys recruited for a three-four, then they recruit guys for a four-three. So uh, these guys have have not had any continuity throughout their career at Memphis. They keep flip-flopping back. From different defenses, uh, you didn't have a spring, saying, and you—I mean, yeah. like it's—it's it's impossible to to expect them to be at the top of their game without any spring ball, with with you know a a 
complete unknown over their head. They didn't know when they were going to get cranked back up. Like it, it's very, very tough in that situation. And I think that you think, and we talked about this earlier, we'll get back to defense, but I think that's a lot of the things you're seeing with the old line in the run game as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's been people calling for Mike McIntyre's firing. I think that's, that's pretty premature. That's, <laughs> that's very premature. It's been a rough season, but you got to think this defensive staff is all new. There's not a single holdover on this defensive staff. So they didn't even get to watch these guys practice and say, okay, this guy needs to be starting here. We need to move this guy here. As you know, all that position moving and changing and moving around and discovering young guys comes in the spring and in the summer. You don't do that in fall camp with, you know, three or four weeks, two weeks before a game. It's just not how it works. So they just kind of had to throw something out there and roll with it. So I'm excited to see what that looks like next year. Know what it looked like to me, too? And you can tell me if I'm wrong, especially with the secondary. They seem to just throw the guys that had experience playing at Memphis in there, regardless of if they fit the scheme well enough, regardless of if they look good in camp. They just had to go with the guys who had had game experience. And, and I think that worked to the detriment of them, but I understand that decision. Yeah, I do too. I expected to see guys like Devontae Nelson and Andarius Coffee, two freshmen, get playing time this year, but they didn't because they didn't have time. The coaches didn't have time to see them in practice. So it makes sense. I wish we would have seen them towards the end of the season, right. especially since this year doesn't really count, but it is what it is at this point. But, Gabe, so when this is my last question, then we'll get out of here. Um, when you look at what they're bringing in in this class, they went heavy, heavy defense. Andrew Jones is the crown jewel, told me personally back when he committed in June that he runs a 4-4, uh, a high 4-4, which is insane, but is the modern prototypical linebacker. Yep. Uh, I think Tyrell Raby is one of the better bump-and-run coverage guys in this class. Javante Nelson, who committed last night, 6'3", 265, big body uh, defensive end. Um, the list kind of goes on and on. There's defensive guys all over this class that can come in and make an immediate impact. Greg Rubin from White Station, long, athletic, physical corner who loves competition. I've gotten to watch him play multiple times and and talk to him and kind of understand his mindset when it comes into the game. So I know there weren't any young guys that got to really contribute this year because of what happened. Uh, Do you expect to see a lot of these 2020 and 2021 guys get on the field, especially defensively next year, if they have the correct spring and summer training and and everything goes as it typically does? Absolutely. (laughs) Because you're going to have so many holes to fill. TJ Carter's gone. Jacoby Francis is gone. Um, You you don't know. I mean, uh, Joseph Dorsey is going to be gone. Um, J.J. Russell, you just mentioned. Uh, O'Brien Goodson's going to be gone. You, you're going to have to have young guys step into roles really quickly. And, again, we talked about this with the quarterbacks. It's exciting, but at the same time it's concerning because you know that there's going to be mistakes. You know that you might take a loss uh, that, that, that you normally wouldn't want to take. Um, so it's just going to be a matter of getting those guys acclimated and, and understanding the system quickly. And also – we have to understand that this is the first year where McIntyre, Coach McIntyre, is going to get what he wants, right? He's recruiting for himself. So with that comes him forcing these guys to get in position, to understand what they want, what he expects of them. And, and I think that will uh, be, a, that'll be a good thing. Um, now, there's a certain amount of patience involved with things like this, right? You can't just expect them to come in day one as a true freshman and be absolute 
all conference players. You just can't expect that. Um, but all we have to see next year is just a learning process day by day, game by game. These guys, um, getting those lessons and, uh, and improving. All right, guys. So that does it for episode two of the believe in Memphis football podcast. Thank you so much, Gabe, for joining me. Absolutely. And you guys can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.